Hello brothers and sisters and welcome back to an all new Sermons in the Park. As always, I am your Reverend Jamie McCaskill. I want to take this time to just welcome you all back. Um, So guys, before we get started with this, I want to address what happened yesterday. The whole Nashville school shooting thing. Uh, Because I'm recording this on the 28th uh, at 11 a.m. So... What happened is sad. You know, we had this transsexual person go in and shoot up a a Christian school, right? (coughs) And sorry if I'm coughing. I'm still a little bit, uh, got a little bit of a cold. But do you notice that the media is staying quiet on this? And then what bothers me the most was. The first thing that we see our president do on the news after this incident occurred, you know, where he should have been on the news and somber, you know, I honestly, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I think it's because of the fact that this was a transsexual gun uh, shooter shooting up a Christian school. We see a president who claims to be Catholic. And my Catholic brothers and sisters, I want to address the fact that I think we should all say claims. Because Joe Biden shows no signs of being any form of Christian. Everything that he stands for is anti-God. Because the first thing we see him do on the media was do what? He started laughing. He was holding a press conference where he was joking about ice cream. I've got it pulled up here on my TV, and I don't know if you're going to be able to hear this good, so I'm going to turn the volume way up. But this is the first news. This is the first thing we hear. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband. And I ate Jenny's ice cream chocolate chip. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. <laughs> By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. I think I'm kidding. I'm not. God. Ben, how are you, pal? One of the best guys in the United States Congress, Ben Cardin. But that is the first thing we hear our president do after a school shooting at a Christian school in Nashville being shot up by a trans person. The media, all this media, all this political garbage that they're pushing where they're telling these LGBT people that we hate them and we mean to do them violence, that's what's causing all this. That's my opinion. Because if you constantly tell someone who doesn't know any better that one thing or the other, they're going to believe it. If you stick someone in a... I'm I'm, I'm going to make an analogy here. It's just something that I'm thinking of and I'm going to try to put this the best way I can. If you take a child and put them in a cave... And you come day after day. You're not allowing them to go outside. 
and you're warning them that the reason that they can't leave that cave is because there's a giant gorilla outside who's going to eat them and the sky is purple. And then one day they finally walk out of that cave and they see a gorilla. They're going to scream and try to kill it. Why? Because they think that gorilla is going to kill them. And the blue sky, they're going to say, is purple. Because they don't know any better. The media is constantly telling people that these trans people, that we want them dead. So, of course, they don't know no better. I'll give you another, I'll give you an example of my life, from my own life here. I have friends who are in England and all over the world. People who follow me here on Sermons in the Park from all over the world. If you're listening, I want to tell you that gun violence is not as bad here in America as the media makes it out to be. I had a friend of mine from England who asked me a question about gun violence once. Wondering how we live over here without being terrified. Because the gun violence over here is not as bad as the media makes it out to be. It's one of those situations where the internet has, yes, yes, it has united the world. Right? We all are able to communicate with people from England, Kenya, wherever. We're able to get news a lot faster. The world is not more deadly It's just that the media is so fast now. We're able to get it, okay? I read once where people, oh, the school shootings, that that didn't start until, I can't remember what year they gave. But, if you were to look into your history, there was one in the 1800s where a mother and father got a divorce. The mother was threatening to take the children away, so the father took his rifle down to the school and shot everybody. That's just with a little bit of research. School shootings did not start in the 1900s. They go, they've been around forever. These things are not new, okay? They're not. I just wanted to address all of this before we get started here. Um, but this is just another situation where I'm... We're living in the end times, guys. We're living in what the Bible calls the days of Noah. (coughs) We're watching things get to that point. The river Euphrates is already frozen up. We're seeing on the media already about the, 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 the bank problems. We have these threats of wars that are going on. Yes, there will always be wars and rumors of wars. The Bible tells us that that's not really a sign. But when you watch, we're seeing things. Russia and China working together. Russian, that's Rosh and uh, the other one. Uh, they're, they're working together already. We're seeing the end times begin. Just watch. Pay attention. Wake up. Don't be woke. Be awake. Pay attention. We're there.
Anyway, let's get back to the point of the video today, or <laughs> video, <laughs> the podcast exclusive here. Uh, you already saw probably the name of this uh, episode is called The Last Words. Um, this is not meaning like the last words of somebody, okay? This isn't like the last words you know, before somebody dies. <coughs> These are just the last words spoken by a person in a, in a particular situation. Um, like, I always like the whole last words thing. You know what I mean? Like when you when you hear about like a serial killer, what are their last words, or what were somebody's last words before they died? That's always fascinated me. But in the Bible, we see last words of particular people and, and things like that, right? We have like, um, well, let's start off right here with Satan's last trap, okay? Satan's last trap. Let's read this. Uh, Job chapter 2, verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity, curse God, and die? If you followed me long enough and watched the YouTube videos on the book of Job, you, you know that those are the last words spoken in the book of Job by Job's wife, you know, while he was suffering. Satan had just killed Job's children and his servants, right? He, he had ruined Job financially. He cursed his body with those painful sores that were all over his body. You're welcome to go and read that. We're not going to today, but... It's Job chapter 1, verse 13 to 19, and then chapter 2, verse 7. When you look at what she says, it answers the question as to why the devil destroyed everything in Job's life, all everything that he loved, everything he depended on. But think about it. He left Job's wife untouched, didn't he? When you look at the life of Job, you see that you know he lived a very unique life. He's one of the righteous. You know, take a look at Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14. What do we see? Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. You see, that right there made Job someone that the devil really wanted to take down. He wanted to see Job reject God. Look again at those verses again, the ones I told you to go look at. Look at Job chapter 1, verses 8 to 12, and then Job chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. The devil knew, right? He knew that if he left Job's wife untouched, he could use her because she could be another source of temptation for Job to sin. Look at what she says to him. Does she show any remorse? No. No, instead she encourages Job to reject God and accept the wrath that God would bring down on him. In the Bible, what, what that is called is the unpardonable sin. <coughs> Even though, you know, and Job, Job, he, he was smart. He resists that temptation. He rebukes her. For being faithful or faithless and foolish. Read with me, Job chapter 2, verse 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Amen. So, 
And the Bible always talks to us, right, about about staying strong up until the very end. Read Job Judges chapter 16, verse 30. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which slew him. I'm, I'm sorry. More than they which he slew in his life. The last words of Samson spoken after God gave him back his superhuman strength just as he is about to commit the last and greatest act of his life. His hair had been cut, right? He, he was captured by the Philistines. They tortured him. They blinded him. They made him commit hard labor while they were making fun of him. Read with me, Judges chapter 16, verses 19 to 21. And she made him sleep upon her knees. She called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, <coughs> I, will go, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord would depart from him, but the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with fetters and brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Like I said, they mocked him. They brought him out, they made sport of him, meaning that they, they spit on him, they tripped him, they pushed him around, they bullied him, if you will. And they did this at a celebration for their false god, Dagon. It was there that Samson stood between those pillars, right? And he pushed them apart, causing that entire temple to come crashing down on him. Him and 3,000 Philistines. Destroying the enemy of Israel that he had been battling his whole life. <coughs> and then we have the revenge of the taxpayers, right? It says, my father made yoke, meaning financial burden, heavy. But I will add to your yoke. My father whipped you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. You can read that. That's in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 14. And those right there are the last words of King Rehoboam. They were his last response to Jeroboam and the rest of Israel when they asked if he would reduce that heavy, and I do mean increasingly heavy, financial burden that his father King Solomon placed on them and uh, his defiant and foolish response that's what served as the catalyst that took the kingdom of the United Kingdom of Israel and actually caused it to split into two different kingdoms and, you know and then later on we have that the the the, 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 the uh, we're going to look at this great military defeat. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 10. Thus shall ye speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God, to whom thou trustest, deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Isn't that horrible to read? Those mocking words right there are the last warning spoken to King Hezekiah of Judah. 
and they were spoken by a king, and I'm going to butcher this name. I have it written right here so I can make sure I say it, try, try to say it properly. Sennacherib. Now, at this time, the mighty Assyrian army, right, was camped around the city. Read with me. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of the Assyrians, a hundred, fourscore, and four thousand. And when they arose in the early morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. You see, they were camped around Jerusalem. <coughs> they were planning to, uh, and threatening as well, to destroy it. And this was about 7001 B.C. So how does God respond to this, this king labeling him weak and a liar? Well, it was the greatest military defeat of any human army, at least at that time. So I'm sure you're thinking, right, like I was when I was researching this. So how complete was this defeat? We see God send an invisible angel at night to kill an entire army, 185,000 troops. And he killed them so quickly that none of them had time to wake up from their slumber. It came with, there was no warning. And like I said, not one of them had time to wake up and sound an alarm, did they? They, weren't, they didn't even have time to scream for help. No one in Jerusalem was aware of what happened. I'm not kidding you. Look at it again. Look at 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35. Read it again. It came to pass that night the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred fourscore and five thousand. When they arose in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. They didn't know about it until in the morning. The Assyrian war machine was not allowed to raise a single mound or even fire a single arrow. They, could, they didn't even have time to raise a sword or shield against the people of God. Look at 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 32. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. You see what I'm saying? They didn't have a chance. So let's get into the New Testament now. Let's, let's talk about the famous Peter. Luke chapter 22, verse 60. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he, he yet spake, the cock crew. These are the last words spoken by Peter, and are, these are what sealed that, that threefold denial of being a disciple of Jesus. You see, Jesus, he prophesied that this was going to happen. He said, before the, cro before the cock crowed, read with me, Matthew chapter 26. We're going to first read verse 34, and then we're going to read verse 75. So verse 34 says, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Then verse 75 says, And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. 
this is one of those moments, okay, that the Gospels complement each other on. In Matthew and Mark, we both see we see them both record this event, and they both say that it took place in the high priest's courtyard. Read with me Matthew chapter twenty-six, verse sixty-nine, and then we're going to read Mark chapter fourteen, verse sixty-six. So Matthew twenty-six sixty-nine says, "Now Peter say, sat without in the palace." And a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. And then in Mark chapter 14, verse 66, And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. All four gospels, okay, tell us that Peter's first denial was spoken to a woman. Alright? Matthew and Mark tell us that his second denial was also spoken to a woman. But Luke, Luke tells us that this, that it was a man. Now, I want to address the whole people who say, well, that's a contradiction. I don't believe so. I think that it's very possible that both were present, okay, when this was spoken. Because does the one where it's a woman say that there was no man there? Does the one where there was a man say there was no woman there? No. Anyway, Luke also tells us that the third God, the third one was to a man. Take a look. Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 59 to 60. And about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him. For he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spoke, the cock crew. John tells us that this man right here was a servant of a high priest. And that his relative had his ear cut off by Peter. Take a look with me. We're going to look at two verses. John chapter 18, verse 10. Okay. And then we're going to look at verse 26. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. That servant's name was Malchus. Verse 26 tells us, One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Okay, so I want to talk about this for a second. One thing that I found interesting that was never taught to me. And I would love to hear what you guys have to say on this. So please, message me on Facebook, Twitter, Truth Social, wherever. Or even, you know, call the hot, call the number and leave it in a message. Because I'd love to hear what you have to say on this. Because this was never taught to me. And both Matthew and Mark, as they both tell us that Peter spoke curse words during his last denial. Now, also, I want to bring up one more thing. This will be the last one to talk about here with Peter. <coughs> because this is according to Luke, okay? After the third denial, it says that Jesus turned. He was in the priest's home, right? And he turned and he looked at Peter. Looked right at him. 
That's right. Look at it. Luke chapter 22, verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Amen. I'm sure that hurt, right? Just imagine that. So, let's talk about some last words of rebuke here. Acts chapter 8, verse 23. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Ah, Simon Magus. Simon Magus was a man that we spoke about not that long ago. He was willing to work with the devil for the purpose of enlarging his own vanity. He used black magic. He performed these, uh, for lack of a better word, false miracles. He did it for so long that he had the respect of the most influential people in Samaria. Take a look with me at Acts chapter 8, verses 9, and 11, 9 10, and 11. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God, and to him they had regard, because that of a of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. So, when we see Philip, right, Philip visits Samaria, we see Simon is, for the first time, he's seeing what real miracles look like. Acts chapter 8, verse 13. Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So, Simon Magus, he was further amazed. He was intrigued, if you will. He saw people receive God's Spirit. And he saw them receiving it through the hands of Peter and John. And he, what he was doing, you see, he was believing that Peter and John possessed this power. <coughs> that they had power, that they had authority over that power. They didn't, he didn't know that they, you know, or he didn't believe, I should say, that this power was being dispensed through them at God's discretion. So what do we see? We see him, he offers them money so that they'll give him the ability. And then we see Peter rebuke him, right? And Peter rebukes him strongly with those words that we just read. Summarizing the true spiritual state of Simon Magus. Because you see, he wasn't seeking God, really. He, he was seeking to make money off of God, right? He was using God to make money, to, to enrich himself. Kind of like a lot of those false televangelists do. You know, they go to these rich and popular schools. They call cemetery, I mean seminary. And they, they learn the Bible just enough to make you believe that they know the Bible. That they know God. I'm not naming any names, but I know a preacher here really close by who told me himself that he never cracked open a Bible until he started preaching. 
there's a lot of this. These people want to make money off of God. They don't want God. They don't, they, they don't care if they help you or not. They want to make money off God. They want you to give them money. So they pretend to know God. And there's a lot of these televangelists on TV who are the same way. Where if you take the Bible and you compare it to what they're preaching, it's not there. You know some of them. The moon were really popular. But anyway, I want to thank you for joining me here. I hope that, you know, through this uh, episode of the podcast, you learned a little bit of something. I pray the Lord continues to bless and keep each and every one of you. And if you need me, guys, don't be afraid to reach out. I'm always here for you. I don't charge for anything I do. (laughs) So (laughs) thank you all. May God continue to bless and keep you, and I'll see you all soon. Oh, thank you.